Once upon a time, or in the beginning, or this is the account. How you tell a story is crucial to how you understand your story. What is the narrative, the storyline in which you are living? How you start a story helps us explain our life and our purpose and make sense of our experience. And so today we're going to be looking at the, the creation stories in the Bible. There are several creation stories in Job and in Psalms, but the two that most of us are familiar with is the one in Genesis 1 and the one that starts in Genesis 2 verse 4. Now I never grew up realizing that there were actually two different stories, but as you, if you look at them closely, you realize there's a start to one in the beginning and the start to the second, this is the account. And things happen in different orders and they're told from very different vantage points. And these stories are, are exercises in imagination. The, what might God have been doing and thinking to start a world that operates the way we know the world operates? And they're stories with deep affection. There's a, there's a love of the planet and, and an understanding of God's love for us. Now, imagination and affection may not seem like good and reliable starts, uh, good foundations to how we understand ourselves and our planet. But the farmer poet Wendell Berry uh, gave a lecture a few years ago that says it all turns on affection. Let's listen to a little bit of that lecture. The term imagination, in what I take to be its truest sense, refers to a mental faculty that some people have used and thought about with the utmost seriousness. The sense of the verb to imagine contains the full richness of the verb to see. To imagine is to see most clearly, familiarly, and understandingly with the eyes, but also to see inwardly with the mind's eye. It is to see not passively, but with a force of vision, and even with a visionary force. To take it seriously, we, we must give up at once any notion that imagination is disconnected from reality, or truth, or knowledge. It has nothing to do either with clever imitation or with dreaming up. I will say from my own belief and experience that imagination thrives on contact, on tangible connection. For humans to have a responsible relationship to the world, they must imagine their places in it. To have a place, to live and belong in a place, to live from a place, Without destroying it, we must imagine it. By imagination, we see it illuminated by its own unique character and by our love for it. By imagination, we recognize with sympathy the fellow members, human and non-human, with whom we share our place. By that local experience, we see the need to grant 
a sort of preemptive sympathy to all the fellow members, the neighbors with whom we share the world. As imagination enables sympathy, sympathy enables affection. And in affection, we find the possibility of a neighborly, kind, and conserving economy. For humans to have a responsible relationship to the world, they must imagine their places in it, to have a place, to live and belong in a place, to live from a place without destroying it. We must imagine it, Barry says. We'll be looking at this lens of imagination and affection to look at the Genesis 1 and 2 accounts today. These are two different stories, one where God comes from the top down to create and another one where God seems to come from the bottom up. Biblical scholar Bill Brown at Columbia Seminary says this Genesis 1 is the story of God as king of the cosmos. And he says that Genesis 2 is the story of God as king of compost, king of cosmos and king of compost, both creating a world. In Genesis 1, it almost reads as if God is making a recipe, a recipe for a temple that is, that is here on this planet. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then the, the, the recipe begins to build. Each day has a new creation. There is light and water, land, vegetation, sun, moon, creatures, and then humans. And then I'm pretty sure it's a recipe for sourdough bread because it says on the seventh day, God rested. Saying that the Sabbath and rest is very important in our created order. We talk about imagination and affection in this story. The creation seems to happen as if it's just springing from God's creative mind and, and coming into being, just, just flying off the fingertips of the deity. And as this begins to take shape at the end of every day, God seems to put, put uh, God's hands on those divine hips and say, wow, I did darn good. There's every day, God says, and God saw that it was good. And there's the affection, right? Like, this is beautiful and incredible, and I love what I am making. I love how this is shaping up. God, as the king of the cosmos, imagines and delights in the kingdom that is created. And then we get to Genesis 2, starting in verse 4. This creation count doesn't read like a menu. It reads like a story. It starts, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. This account was likely written in a different time, probably in the time of King David. And it's less a formula and more of an organic unfolding, more of a story, more improvisational, where God says, okay, I'm making this, and now this looks good too, and let's try a little bit of that. It begins with a good rain. And then out of that, springs of water begin to rise up. 
And then, and then like a science fiction movie, a man emerges from the dust, the molecules and the dirt forming together to make a man, Adam. And then God plants a garden with food to eat, and then there are rivers, and then animals. And even with this amazing garden and this beauty and provision, even with, with bears to cuddle up with at night, the man, Adam, is lonely. And so while Adam is sleeping, God does some surgery and, and takes a rib out of his side, and from that rib makes a woman. And they recognize each other as companions and co-create a life together. In this story, God, as king of the compost, is, is playing in the dirt, planting a garden, playing matchmaker. These stories root us in a faith tradition in which our relationship to the earth is to be one of imagination, creativity, originality, what's next, and also of affection, goodness, love, companionship. And so we return to these stories over and over to remind us of the beginning of our story and how we are called to live in the narrative, the ongoing narrative of our story. And we need each other to do it. These are not stories of isolation. They are stories of community and intersections and diversity. For a long time, I know that this church, Valley Presbyterian, has been committed to the earth. I mean, you can't walk in this sanctuary without noticing these trees behind me, right? And I remember the first time I walked in here, I was, I was trying to figure out, you know, are there... Is this, is this all enclosed inside, or, or is, there, is it partly outdoors because of the stone and the live plants growing? Um, this is a place that is deeply connected to the earth and to our planet just by being who we are. But in the last year, there's been a group of people that have said, you know, that's not enough. We want to go deeper into this relationship with the earth. We want to make it more explicit. And so I'm so excited about the earth care team that has been forming this year to look at both how we are living responsibly and caring for the earth, thinking about how to engage in advocacy for the earth, how to deepen our understanding, and also how to act. And this has been a really exciting thing to see come up. And one practice I absolutely love that they have started and that has begun to happen in our adult ed class is that they always light three candles when they begin to represent the three empty chairs that are always among us. So the first candle is lit for the poor and the marginalized, those who have historically been left out of discussions about the environment. The second candle is lit for future generations, those whose interests are not always considered, and yet who inherit the, the things that we do and the decisions we make. The third candle that is lit is for all living beings, the trees, the plants, the animals, and other created life upon whom which we depend, and yet who has no voice but ours. And this is our hope at Valley Press, is to, to start placing these voices in the center more and more. 
of who we are and how we understand ourselves, to remember that central to our faith is this imagination and deep affection for our planet, to recognize this is a part of, of the whole in which we live, to honor the earth as our home. And so I'd like to invite you to listen to these stories from members of our Earth Care team about why caring for the earth is central to their faith. The miracle is not walking on water. The miracle is walking on earth. How is the care of the earth related to my faith? My faith motivates me to care for the environment because God made it and loves it and considers it good. A quote from Stephen Gould really resonates with me. We cannot win this battle to save species and environments without forging an emotional bond between ourselves and nature as well. For we will not fight to save what we do not love. Clearly God as the creator loves nature, just as we love the things that we have made. I don't think our earth is something to use up and throw away because each part has been created by God to have its place in the web of life. So that motivates me to find ways to nurture the earth and conserve resources. The earth is the only home we humans have ever known. Being in nature now bolsters my faith because it starts with observing, but goes beyond, towards the unseen. The more I learn, the deeper I go. The more I notice, the more grateful I feel for nature's intricacies and interconnections. It all feels sacred, a treasure to be lovingly and wholeheartedly stewarded. So how does care of the earth relate to love of neighbor? The Iroquois make decisions on behalf of the seven generations coming so that they may enjoy what we have today. What do we enjoy today that might even be relevant to a seventh generation of feathered, furred, or hair-covered neighbors? It's the land we live on, the clean air we breathe, and the water we need for the survival of life as we know it. The only neighborly thing we can do for them is preserve their inheritance. God so loved the world. We hear this in John 3.16. God loves this world, and God wants this world to continue. God so loves the world, and God wants us to love the world so that it has a future, because God loves that future. God loves the people that aren't here yet. God loves the animals and plants that aren't even around yet. God loves everything about this world, and we are called to love it the same way God does. I am awed when I see the photo of the little blue dot in space and realize this is our planet Earth, the only planet as far as we know that has sustained life for over three and a half billion years. And we human beings have evolved in the last 200,000 years to be who we are today. And I marvel at all the creatures and creations of the Earth all this is mysterious and sacred for me. Well, how does the, your faith come into this? Well, I was and continue to be so comforted to have found a faith community where my concerns about the environment 
uh, are heard and understood and uh, matched by so many in the congregation. Uh, we share a common belief that the God of the Old Testament uh, has commanded us to take care of nature. Yes, and you know, I like the mission statement from the First Press Environmental Working Group, and it states, Our biblical mandate to care for the least of these inspires us to seek environmental justice for those whose lives are disproportionately affected by climate change. Yeah. We're so happy to be working with the Earth Care team at Valley Prez to address some of these issues. Even in a small way. Praise God for giving us mental and physical capacity to be wise caretakers of what he so generously provides. Help us, dear God, to give abundantly to those that are hard-pressed that they may obtain life's needed resources, such as clean water. Thank you for sharing your stories. And for the rest of us, I wonder, why is caring for the earth central to our faith? And how will we make it even more a part of who we are and how we see ourselves in the world? And what is the story that God will tell through all of us as we serve this planet with imagination and deep affection? Amen. I hear a bird chirping up in the sky I'd like to be free like that, spread my wings so high I see the river flowing, water running by I'd like to be that river, see what time I find I feel the wind blowing, slowly changing time I'd like to be the wind that swirl and shape the sky
So 